Thank you for joining the Pinewood Church Podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you fresh perspective on how God is moving in your life. For more information, visit us at pinewoodboulder.com. Enjoy the message. Whoa. Amen. What a song. Thank you guys again uh, for being with us tonight as we continue our series through the book of Colossians. Colossians is an amazing book. I love the book of Colossians. Colossians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Not only did he write this letter, I think in Scripture when we think of people writing letters, it's like when authors write letters, when they're like on a writer's retreat, you know, overlooking the Bahamas, just casual out here working hard, you know, writing this book. That's not what was happening here with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this book. It's one of the books known as the prison epistles. And he's writing this book to the church at Colossae. And he's writing to correct some bad theology, some false heresy that had creeped into the church there in Colossae. And I love every little detail of this chapter. This is why it's taken so long. It's because, man, these are really big theological truths that we're diving into in the book of Colossians. So I think we're going to get a whole three verses deep tonight, team. I I don't think we're going to get very far. I keep reading further than I actually get to, uh, but tonight we're just, I just narrowed it down. It's three verses. And tonight we're talking about how Jesus is the head of the church. And tonight we're talking about how Jesus is greater than, you fill in the gap. Jesus is greater than. You fill it in. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. It says this. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray before we dive into this text. God, we love you so much. And we're uh, humbled and we're grateful and we're expectant as we come together today that you're going to speak to us through your word. Father, we're, we're grateful that your word is alive. We're grateful that your word is active and that your Holy Spirit can move and speak to every single person here individually. I love that your word cuts to the bone and the marrow of who we are. It just cuts deep to our core. Uh, it goes right to the soul. And it speaks truth over our lives. And God, we're grateful for your word. We pray that you speak to us tonight, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we've been looking at through the book of Colossians, especially in this first chapter, is Christ's supremacy declared. The book of Colossians, if there is a theme over the whole book, it's that Jesus is absolutely supreme and that he has soul sufficiency. 
Like, what did you just say? Okay, well, he's, he's absolutely supreme. He's, he's superior to everything. But he also is so sufficient, meaning that in any area of your life, in every circumstance, it means that Jesus alone is enough. So he's everything, and he's enough. We talked this, about this a little bit last week, but for many of us here today, you may be saying Jesus is something but he's not everything. You may be saying that he's necessary, but he's not enough. And I want to encourage you today that Jesus is everything and that Jesus is enough. And so we're looking at the first chapter in Christ's supremacy declared. And we've, we, we broke this down into four sections. The first 12 verses talked about how Jesus' supremacy was declared in the gospel message. And you can go back and you can read through those texts. Uh, and, and listen to the sermon if you'd like. But then the second, we dove into how Christ's supremacy was declared in redemption and how he redeemed us, which we're going to talk a little bit more about tonight. And then last week, if you were with us, we talked about how Christ's supremacy was declared over creation. And we saw that last week. I mean, he's the God of the invisible and the visible. God over everything. Everything that's created. And tonight, we're talking about how Christ's supremacy is declared over the church. And we see that very clear here in the text. It says that Christ is the head of the body. And I wanted to illustrate this in a very uh, practical way tonight. You have uh, us, the body, and every day, you know, as, as we come together, we have this decision that we get to make. We're like, are we going to recognize that Christ is the head, that we submit to what he says, we submit to his direction, not our direction. We submit to his authority, not our authority. His vision for the church, not our vision for the church. Like we, we together, we get to say that as a unified body of Christ. We're gonna, we get to say together that Christ is absolutely supreme. But we also, in our pride and in our arrogance, we can tune out the voice of Jesus and, and we can start listening to ourselves and our pride and arrogance. We can listen to what other people say about who we are as a church, as a family, as individuals. And the same is true for, for what we see. And we could start seeing our vision over his vision and start seeing the people around us as we see them, a lot of jacked up people, or we could see them as God sees them, appointed and chosen and gifted and loved. And so I want to illustrate that. Uh, Jared, if you, if you would help me out here for a second. I don't know why. I just like picking on Jared. He's my, my brother-in-law. So and he's moving. So I only, get a few, I only get a little bit more time to, <laughs> to hang out with him. Anyways, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to illustrate it this way. I'm going to put this mask on him. And I'm going to blindfold him, and we're going to have some fun with him here in a minute. Here, let me put this mask on. All right, can you see? You sure? Oh, no, no, let's just double check. Dude, you look like a straight-up criminal. What are you about to, like, go? <laughs> you feeling good? You can't see nothing? So if I were to, like, push you off the stage, you might hurt yourself? All right, no, 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 here we go. Let's stay right here. All right, so this is what we can sometimes do as a church. If we're not careful, if we don't lean into what the scriptures say about how Jesus is the head of the church, we can put uh, these blinders on, and this is 
pride and arrogance. And like I said before, like we can start submitting to what, what we see, not what, what Jesus sees for us. And we can start pursuing our vision and what, what, what we want. But if I were to, let's just say right now, at Jared, how effective and how efficient do you think that he would be to navigate his way around the room tonight? Blindfolded like this. He has zero, he doesn't, he's not feeling confident. He's not feeling good about where he is right now. But he could still hear me. So let's say, for example, I say, all right, Jared, I'm going I'm to talk you through this. Uh, there's a step right in front of you. Go ahead and step down. All right, now scoot over to the left a little bit. Now walk forward. All right, so he's a little confident. Now stop. Break it down. No, don't break it down. Turn around. Turn around and walk back to me. Turn around. Walk back to me. Take another step. You, you sure you can't see? Stop. Nope. Stop. One more step. Trust me. Stop. There's a step up. Step up. All right. So he did a little bit of work. He's a little effective, but he's a little nervous. He's not confident in who he is and where he's going. All right. Now we got one more element. This one is, uh, this one is my favorite. It's about to get real. Are you nervous? All right. So we're going to turn this on, and you're not going to be able to hear either. And then I'm going to tell you what to do and uh, go for it. All right, we can also stop listening to the voice of God. If we stop recognizing Jesus as head, all right, I got to get a, there we go. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Is everything okay? Can you hear anything that I'm saying? Can you hear anything that I'm saying? Nothing is coming out. It's jump around. It's jock jams. He can't hear a thing. I'm telling you, he cannot hear anything. Jared, I want you to take a step forward. Take a step forward. Just one step. Just take a step. Dude, I just... <laughs> just <laughs> you can't hear nothing. This is, uh, this is what I'm talking about. Whenever, whenever we say we're not going to listen to the voice of God anymore, <laughs> we're going to hear from God. We don't know what he's telling us to do. We don't know where to go next. So not only can we not see where he's telling us to go, we can't even hear where he's telling us to go. And whenever we want to make us the head of the church, what happens? We become completely ineffective. We have no impact. He's walking around like a chicken with his head cut off here. He has no idea what he's doing in life. <laughs> he's disconnected. And this is what pride and this is what arrogance does. It disconnects his pride. <laughs> all right, all right, that's enough with the jump, jump. Can you hear me now? Okay, there we go. Let's. Thank you, Jared. Give it up for Jared. He was disconnected from the source, from the originator. He was disconnected from the head of the church. He was like a chicken with his head cut off. He was prideful and he was arrogant. I believe that there's two ways that we can do this as a local body. Where we, it's still jamming out over here. Let me turn that off. There's two, two ways to look at this. There's two, th two ways that we can make us the head of the church. And, and disconnect ourselves from God. I think the first is pride and arrogance. And that's just us just saying we could do it better than Jesus can. That's just saying, God, I, I, I kind of trust you for building your church, but I kind of have a better plan for building your church. I'm going to do it this way. And I feel like if, if that's the case, you're just you're putting your headphones on. You're like, I'm not going to listen to you. I got my own plan. You're putting the blinders on. 
Now, God, I'm just going to work harder. I'm not going to trust you with the provisions of the church. You're just putting another blindfold on. That's the pride. That's the arrogant way of going about it. That's saying that I can do things better. But I also feel like there's another approach that many of us can have as it relates to disconnecting ourselves from seeing that Jesus as the head of the body, and I believe that's apathy. I believe that's us saying, yes, Jesus is the head of the church. And, we, and many of us here today, we probably all say, yes, Jesus is the head of the church. And then Jesus is like, okay, you're acknowledging me. Great. Now take a step forward and do this thing. And you're like, uh, I'm not going to move. And this, is, this, this apathy begins to creep in where you know you're hearing him. He's the head of the church. He's telling you where to go. You see it. And you just have this apathetic and disobedient spirit. So you have one sense pride is doing the wrong things that you feel is right. And then this other is doing nothing, even though Christ is telling you to do something. And I just want to say tonight, here at Pinewood Church, we have a commitment that Jesus is the head of this church. Not me. I'm the pastor, but I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is. I didn't found the church. Jesus did. I didn't establish the church. Jesus did. I didn't give you gifts to live out and to build up the body of Christ. Jesus did. It's not for my glory. It's for his glory. And there's nobody in here, no lead team, no team leads, no servant leaders, no pastor, no elder. Nobody in here can claim that they are the head of the church. Nobody. But we can say that Jesus is the head of the church, that he tells us what to do. We don't tell him what to do. Jesus and the church, there are many areas of that that I want to I look at in Scripture real quick. Um, Jesus, he gives the gifts. We see this in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 12. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, catch this, and build up the church, the body of Christ. I love that he gives the gifts to build up his church, the body of Christ. I love that in every instance it says his church, his church, his church. He's not only the head, it's his body. You get where I'm getting? You get where I'm going there? all about Jesus. He established the church. We see this in Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. This verse, if you're, if you're uh, church planning in here and you know, man, this is a go-to verse. When you're like, when you have bad days or bad weeks or, or whatever the case may be, you're like, okay, I'm going to be faithful to show up, and I'm going to trust Jesus to build his church. It says the gates of hell will not prevail it, therefore we can not lose. We're going to show up, we're going to be faithful, and we're going to acknowledge Jesus as the head and trust him to build his church. Next, he, he is the cornerstone, Acts 4.11. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, the stone on which holds it and keeps it and sustains it together. The church is for his glory, Ephesians 3.21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And the church is to preach Christ and Christ alone. 
I love this. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we are not proclaiming, we are not preaching ourselves, but Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. It's all about Jesus. He's everything. He's enough. You may be new here and you may be thinking, wow, this guy is really psyched about Jesus. We are. We love Jesus. He's our salvation. He's our redeemer. He made a way for us to get to the Father. We love him. This is his church. Our mission statement is to what? Meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Not Pinewood Church. Not community. Not love. But Jesus. Our number one value is Jesus is our message. And even when we come together in Team Rally, before we even have church, we all come together. And the last thing we do before everybody shows up is we have a team huddle, and we all say together, Jesus is our message, our life. This is his church, built on love and full of faith. We are here to serve. <laughs> no, okay, okay. There's more. There's more. But we'll stop there. But I think you see where I'm going here. This is Jesus. This is his church. And everything is all about him. Even as we look at the text in Scripture, you may notice every single Sunday, no matter if we're in the Old Testament, we get to Jesus. If we're in the New Testament, we go back to Jesus. Because even in the Word of God, it is all about Jesus. And I love, um, I love that he talks about the local church here. And I'm not going to linger on this for a long time, but I just want to talk about this for a minute because I'm, I love the church. I love the church. I'm very pro-local church. I think you know that by now because, I mean, we moved here to start a church. But this, this text in Scripture specifically is written to a local church in Colossae. Uh, there's, a, there's this idea, and, and many of you may have thought, heard of this or, or thought this before, but you, you have the church, which is a, a, a big C church, a church which Jesus is the head of. No, no single denomination or assembly can say, we alone claim the body of Christ. No, the body of Christ is for anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. Boom, welcome to the family. You're in the body of Christ. So no single denomination or affiliation of any kind can claim that title, the body of Christ. But we do see all over scriptures where you have the church, the body of Christ, and you have these local assemblies and I just want to encourage you today to be a part of a local body of Christ. To use the gifts that you have to build up the local body of Christ. To use the resources that you have to support the local body of Christ. I think about it whenever I think of uh, working out. Because, you know, I'm like, I'm really s strong and, and just jacked, you know. I'm huge and just been pumping that iron. <laughs> no, I am... For sure, the scrawniest one here. I'll go ahead and throw that out there. I'll admit that. But it's like working out. Uh, if, you, if you're serious about your health and serious about bulking up, you do what? You join a local gym. Oh, there we go. There we go. I knew it was coming. You CrossFit, right? You join a local gym of some kind, rock climbing, working out. Maybe it's Orange Theory Bar. I know this stuff. Uh, you join, and you, and you get serious about your health. Why? Because there's, 
There's this atmosphere where people are encouraging one another to be better. There's this accountability where you're telling other people, these are my goals. You have coaches. They have equipment. There's resources. There's all of these things where it's like, oh, man, it's almost like there's like this intentional thing that is to promote my health. Yeah, it's a local gym, and, and, it's, and everything about it is to support your health, your fitness, and your muscles. And so we would say, yes, if you're serious about your health, join a local gym, get involved, get a coach. Yes, I agree to that. Why would we think our spiritual health is any different? Why would we say that we, would, we can disconnect ourselves from a local body and grow spiritually? Well, you don't have those relationships. You don't have an atmosphere of faith. You don't have that accountability. Somebody consistently preaching the truth in love. I believe that anybody that's serious about growing in their faith should be serious about the local church. And we see that all over, all over scriptures. Moving on. I told you we're going to stay that long. Moving on. Next it says, he is the beginning, the originator, the firstborn from the dead. I love uh, Warren Wearsby. Uh, he's a, a theologian. He says this. He says, the church had its origin in him, and today it has its operation in him. He, he birthed it. He established it. He created it. It says, in the, in the beginning. Here we see that Greek word firstborn used again. And are y'all ready for this? It's a Greek word. I'm, I'm going to go for it. We're, we're going Greek tonight, okay? Just a couple times. This Greek word is this. Prototokos. Prototokos. If you're taking notes, just, you got it. Figure it out. It, it's, it's spelled like it sounds, all right? And this is where we get our word prototype. It's, the, it's this idea that is, is, the, is the prime origin. It's, not, it's, it's this more of a position than it is of an origin. It's the prototype. It's the template. It's the example. And we also see that right here, uh, it's referencing, we, see it, we talked about it last week, but we see that this, this week is a little bit different. He says he's the firstborn from the dead. Now, we know uh, that he wasn't the first to be resurrected from the dead. That's not what the scripture is saying. He was not saying that he was the first in this timeline to be resurrected from the dead. Uh, we have, for example, the Shunammite woman, uh, Jairus' daughter, uh, Lazarus, when he was raised all happened before Christ's resurrection, but there was not a single resurrection that carried more significance for all humanity than this. It's the prime. It's the pro prototype, protocos. It is the prime example, the prime template for us, and it carries the most significance. It says, so, carrying on in the verse, it says, so that he might come to have first place in everything. First place and everything. And I want to ask just a question uh, tonight, just to get you thinking for just a second. So all of this, he's the head of the church, from the beginning, firstborn from the dead, he was resurrected for us, all of this so that he could have first place in everything. And I just want you to think about that. What or who gets your first and your best? What or who gets your first and gets your best. Just think about it. And this is what I want you to think about as you think about that. Already, you may be thinking, well, dang, it's not Jesus. You may be thinking of other things. It could be 
Well, my, my career at the end of the day gets my first and it gets my best. It could be popularity. I just want people to know me. That gets my first, that's first and that's my best. I put a lot of effort into that. Could be your family. My family gets my first and my family gets my best. And what I want us to think about it, uh, as it relates to a first and our best is that these things that, that you say may be first, we all do this. We all prioritize the things in our lives, and some things get our best, and some things get enough. This is, we all do this. And this isn't necessarily bad. For example, you may say, my family is, is uh, first thing I thought of was my family. My family gets my first. My family gets my best. Therefore, other areas, I, I, I do enough. My hobbies, I do, I do enough. Doesn't get my first, doesn't get my best. My career, I do enough. And what, I just want to encourage you today, no matter what, no matter your circumstances or position, put Jesus first. Put him first in every area of your life. In your work, put him first. In your family, put him first. And not only put him first so that he may first in everything, but give him your best. Your best in your time. So in the morning, who gets your first and who gets your best? So with your resources, who gets your first, who gets your best? With your talents tonight, some of you may be just unbelievably gifted in something that no one else is gifted in. In your talent, who gets your first, who gets your best? Is it Jesus? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Think about that tonight. I feel like, man, that just carries so much weight for me whenever I, I read that text. It was so convicting to me to think, Okay, if God, if Jesus is going to have absolute superiority over my life, and he, if he's going to be so sufficient in every season, he has to get my first, he has to get my best. Moving on, we're, we're closing, we're closing in just, just a second here, except for, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. I'm not going to be able to spend as much time as I want on this. But I do want to read this text found in John 1, verse 16 through 18. John 1, 16 through 18. Really, and if you want to study more on just God's fullness dwelling in Jesus, wow. Read, read John 1. It says, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed himself. G Paul uh, was going right at the people in Colossae, right at the heresy and saying, Do you see? Do you see? What, what I'm saying here, Jesus was 100% man, humanity, came down, born. He was flesh, he was blood, and he was 100% God. And you may be sitting here and you may be saying, well, I just don't understand. It's, I, I don't know that I fully understand either. But it's true. It's what the scriptures say. He was 100% man, and he was 100% God. If Jesus is fully God, but he's not human, 
And the Bible is a lie. He never came and he was never flesh and blood. He never went to a cross and he died for our sins. But he was 100% man and not God. He could have never gone to the cross to die for our sins. Therefore, he could have never been perfect and therefore never making a way to the Father. But we see in Scripture, and he's attacking the heresy head on when he says Jesus is 100% man. He was 100% God, that God's fullness dwelt in him. And then the last verse is this, and then we'll close. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I want to lean into this word reconcile. This word reconcile means to reestablish a right relationship. And it says that Jesus reconciled. He reestablished a right relationship with everything. There was blood shed on the cross. The two uh, words that I want to lean into, I told you we were going to come back to it, was the words redemption and reconciliation. We see the redemption in the previous verse, and then here we see reconciliation. And this is, what I, this is why this is so important to us, and I just, I just want to feel the weight of this for just a second. Redemption, he pardons our sins, and he redeems what was broken. So you may be here tonight, and you may be thinking, I, I've sinned a lot against a holy God. I'm broken. Christ could never redeem me. And I want to tell you that's just not true. Christ came and on his bloodshed, dying on a cross, he did that to redeem you, to make you right before the Father. But he also did it to reconcile you. He says, you are forgiven, set free. Now come to the Father and experience his peace. He procures this peace of reconciliation and he makes right uh, and he fills the gap between you and the Father. He's the ultimate mediator that through Jesus we have access to the Father and we have salvation and redemption. Ephesians 1, 9-10, it says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. That, that little section in there to bring everything together is, is, is a Greek word. I'm not even going to attempt it because it's really huge and really long. But it actually means to bring everything together, to, to make Christ the head of everything. Actually means that he's the headship, that he's Lord, that he has authority over everything, that his plan and his purpose was to bring both redemption and reconciliation for everybody. And to give you this peace, and even during our prayer and praise time, we talked about, men. you're coming in here, you're broken. You're coming in here in, in, in pain, maybe hopeless. And I just want to let you know today, in Jesus, you can find peace. In Jesus, you can find hope. In Jesus, you can find a love like you've never known. I love the text that we read. It said, grace upon grace. Grace is a word that's used often as church, but it's known as unconditional love, unmerited favor. And you may be thinking, Jesus could never love me. And I want to tell you today, there's nothing that you could do that would make Jesus love you any less. We tell our kids that all the time when they come to us and they're like, man, I'm sorry. I'm like, you know what? There's nothing you could ever do that would make me love you any less. My love for you is not conditional based on what you do. I love you anyways. And Jesus loves you here today. And I believe that he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. I want to invite you today, if you're here today, and maybe you're hearing a lot of this for the first time, I want to invite you here today. You can receive his grace today. 
I'm not, it's, I'm not going to complicate it. Jesus Christ came down, and he lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross. It says in Scripture, his, his blood was shed. It was the ultimate sacrifice. We, we were guilty. I think the most simple illustration of this that I can think of is that we were guilty of disobedience to God. So therefore, the punishment of our death, the wages of our sin, should have been on us. But Jesus steps into the gap, mediates, and he says, no, 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 I'm going to take their punishment on me. God. God did this. He said, no, I'm going to take the weight of their sin on my shoulders, and I'm going to die for them so that they don't have to. And he died, and he was raised from the dead so that we might have life through him. Jesus died. He defeated death, and he rose again, and we may have life and freedom through his death, burial, and his resurrection. And you can receive that gift today by putting your faith and trust in who he is. Turning from your sins, saying, God, I am a sinner. I admit that. And I believe that you are who you say you are, and I turn to you, and I trust you. And with all the faith that you have, you put it in Jesus. And you know what happens in that moment? Boom. Welcome to the family. He comes in, and he changes you from the inside out. This isn't a church where we tell you, change, and then come to Jesus. None of us did that. None of us, none of us did that. We're not here today because we got better. We're here today and we're part of the family because we received the free gift of Jesus Christ. And we're going to have a song of response. And if you want to do that today, I invite you. Pray that prayer during this last song. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you are who you say you are. Thank you for saving me. And then come let us know you prayed that prayer. We'd love to celebrate with you. Would you go ahead and stand with us as we sing one final song? Our community at Pinewood Church aims to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus in Boulder and around the world. Thank you for your support. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find out more at pinewoodboulder.com or on any social media platform with the handle at pinewoodboulder.com.